challenging men to be great men. Don't just be a male, be a man, a great man. Welcome to the Great Man Podcast with your host, New York Times bestselling author and leader of men, Stephen Mansfield. Gentlemen, let us begin. Let's dive right into this episode. Glad you're with me. I want to review a book in this podcast that I disagree with, but I want you to read. I want you to read it because I think that those of us who are contending for righteous, noble, great manhood need to read our critics, need to sharpen our arguments, need to know the different thinking surrounding what we do, uh, and just need to be better at who we are. And there's nothing that makes you better like allowing your critics to be the unpaid guardians of your soul. So I want to talk about a book that's come out. You may have heard about it. Uh, I'm going to agree with some of the things that are in it. And I think they, that this author makes good points. Um, but then, of course, uh, this author also lapses into some criticism that I think is unwise. So let's dive in. The book is called Jesus and John Wayne, subtitled How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. It's written by Kristen Dumay, who is a professor of history and gender studies at Calvin University. Uh, for those of my listeners who are not Christians and you know how much I love you and you're welcome, uh, we're going to lean a little bit towards the faith side, a little bit more towards the evangelical side in this podcast. So hang with us. This is an important discussion for you, but I've got Muslim listeners and Sikh listeners and every kind of listener, non-believing and non-religious listeners of every kind, uh, hang in with us. This is not just me talking to the faithful here. Uh, this is talking about something that's happening in our culture, particularly uh, American culture, but but actually the entire culture uh, of those pursuing noble manhood in this great men's movement that's happening in the world. So the book is Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. Now, uh, I do not perceive Dr. Dumay as an enemy. Uh, she is a, a Christian. She is a reformed theologically. She made, has made this very clear in a number of podcasts. Her children go to a Christian school. So this is not someone who wants to hurt the faith. This is someone who believes she is protecting the faith. And essentially, this book is a history of the men's movement in the last 50 or 60 years. Basically, from the early 50s, uh, when concern, she picks up the, the narrative of concern about masculinity and masculinity and faith and evangelicals championing the cause of masculinity uh, and manhood all the way through essentially January 6th, when you had a largely white and to some degree evangelical crowd uh, storm the U.S. Capitol. She says this is evidence of the perversion of a nature, the nation, the fracturing of a nation, uh, and also evidence of the corrupting uh, of a faith by, quote, white evangelicals. Now, I want to start positive. There are many things in Dr. Dumay's book that I agree with. I want you to get it. I want you to read it. I want you to decide for yourself. She makes the point that amongst evangelicals, amongst people of faith, that as a men's movement arose, as an attempt to correct deformed masculinity arose, uh, and she pins the, she picks up the story anyway in the 50s. She knows it comes, uh, it begins before that, of course. Uh, but as, as it arose, it began to look to cultural icons 
uh, icons in the quote-unquote secular society, icons outside of the church, outside of scripture, uh, perhaps as the norm, perhaps as influences, perhaps as models, and in a manner that is contrary to the example of Jesus, which any Christians, evangelicals perhaps in particular because of their emphasis on scripture, uh, should be looking to. So she will make the point that uh, church-going evangelical males began to look to John Wayne, began to look to uh, Mel Gibson's portrayal of William Wallace in uh, the greatest movie in the history of the world, Braveheart. No, I'm just playing. Um, began to look to Clint Eastwood and uh, that these became the models more than that of Jesus. She actually said in one podcast, I don't think she was kidding, uh, that uh, really more of a Christian model for men would be Mr. Rogers. Uh, and that some of the recent documentary, documentaries done about him show him as being more Christian and having a more of a Christian impact on the culture, uh, him being a, a man of faith himself, than these icons, John Wayne, William Wallace, Clint Eastwood, uh, etc. And she believes that uh, as evangelical men have looked to these more secular models, these models in the quote culture unquote, I don't, I really don't like not only hers, but everybody's use of the word culture to mean our society. Uh, every, every organization, every person has a culture. Culture just means what is encouraged to grow. So we really shouldn't be using the word culture to refer to society, but okay, I'll leave it alone for the moment. But I prefer the phrase secular society. Um, that that what's happened, she believes, and I believe that there's truth here, that she that the white evangelicals, I wish she wouldn't use white evangelicals as her phrase, but okay, I'll come back to that, that the evangelical males have looked to secular cultural icons, many of which uh, have values, live out lives, conduct themselves in a manner opposite to the example of Jesus, okay? And as a result of that theme, as a result of nurturing an, an unbiblical, non-Jesus-like version of manhood, we end up on January 6, 2021, with evangelical males believing they're doing the will of God, storming the Capitol, and, you know, at least some of them chanting to hang Mike Pence and hang Nancy Pelosi and building gallows on the front lawn of the U.S. Capitol. So she sees that as the fracturing of a nation. She sees that as the corrupt, as, as evidence of a corrupted faith, and uh, and she has a point. Uh, I, let me defend her first. Uh, not that she needs defending. Uh, I have not met her, by the way. I, we are not we're not friends, only in the sense that we don't know each other. I look forward to maybe perhaps one day meeting her. But let me defend her first. It is absolutely true that the men's movement that has arisen in the last decades, largely out of the conservative church in America, has often looked to non-Jesus-like examples. And I have said on this podcast, you, those of you who have been listening for years know, I have said on this podcast, I get concerned about overly macho, in a secular sense, men's movements. I get concerned about churches that start, the men the men in which start to study and read um, books about righteous manhood, uh, supposedly Christian manhood, and what it produces is a bunch of guys riding motorcycles, smoking cigars, uh, their language, you know, dropping in terms of its, you know, beginning to have the F-bomb in their language, uh, getting tattoos, and being more macho in a, in a generic sense. 
um, in their lives. I, I get concerned about that because that those are the trappings of a secular view of manhood. Now, let me just pause real quick before some of you lose your freaking minds. I love the idea of riding motorcycles. I smoke cigars from time to time. I don't have any tattoos, but I think they're fine. I'm not putting all of those things down individually. Some of my dearest friends ride motorcycles all the time. That is not my issue. My issue is if that's all that your men's group at your church has become about, if it's all about the hunt, if it's all about the cross-country ride, if it's all about being just tougher and meaner and looking like a biker and wearing leather and et cetera, well, then you've missed the point. The point of a Christian men's movement is to fashion men into the image of Jesus and to thus through that and through the work of the Holy Spirit cause noble God-designed manhood to thrive in each man. And then those men come together and they help each other. They are bands of brothers. They help each other conform to the image of Jesus. They help each other, yes, morph and rise and evolve and and, and unpack, so to speak, as men, bringing their manly gifts to the fore to serve society and honor God and strengthen each other and do good in the world. And yeah, I don't have any problem, of course, with rowdiness and fun. You know that I love that tremendously. So yeah, go on the ride if that's what you're going to do. Go fishing. Go do kind of an obstacle course thing. I I love all of it. Just don't think that motorcycle, cigars, tattoos, and the F-bomb, which some groups got into pretty seriously, is what makes a Christian expression of manhood. That's my main concern. I don't care about your facial hair. Wear whatever you want. (laughs) Grow a beard and wrap it around your chest 90 times. Fine. It's not, it's not, Manhood, it's not not manhood. It's just what you've chosen to do. It's fine. Mustaches don't make a man. Body hair doesn't make a man. Possession of toys doesn't make a man. Tattoos doesn't make a man. You understand what I'm saying. Having a cigar in your mouth 24-7 doesn't make a man. At the same time, it's it's not wrong to smoke a cigar or whatever. I don't want to get bogged down in these issues. I'm simply saying that, what ha- what, that she is right in the sense that Christian men's groups, the a Christian the Christian version of the men's movement that is sweeping the world, did often look to secular icons, did often look to macho examples, secular macho examples, and thus conformed more to a John Wayne movie image than they did to the, to the image of Jesus. And ultimately what they had then was a bunch of men being hyper-macho, and by the way, in Greek, in the New Testament, the word macho means striker, someone who hits, someone who fights all the time. Uh, when Paul writes Timothy, telling him what some of the characteristics of his leaders ought to be, he said they shouldn't be brawlers, they shouldn't be strikers. That word in Greek is macho. So all that to say that she's right on this, on this issue. Now, where she's wrong is that she has basically assumed that we are idiots. Okay. I'm sure there are some men who watch John Wayne movies and think that John Wayne is the apex of manhood, but no one I know, nobody I know, uh, nobody is stupid enough to watch Braveheart and think that's how we ought to behave. You know what? Slashing off heads and chopping off legs and 
you know, is that is that what we're about? No, we're not stupid. We watch movies. We enjoy movies. Um, we draw certain characteristics. We'll get in our men's groups. And as we study scripture, we might allude to a movie as an example. But but what she has done is she has uh, attacked a straw man. This is this is what this means is that she has gone after a certain Bubba image of what an evangelical white male looks like. And she has assumed that we are all that kind of idiot. I wrote a book called Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and in that book, I commended characters, uh, characteristics of humility, for example. I, I Yes, I commended of adventure. I think every man is made to have adventure in his soul um, and, and pursue adventures and live a little bit in the wild. You know that I urged you as recently as my last podcast uh, to, to, to pursue a goal, a pursue a physical goal, do things that are physically hard. Men need to do that. Men need to be about that. Uh, so, so yeah, well, I can allude to Braveheart. I can allude to John Wayne. I can allude to my favorite movies, The Mission or Chariots of Fire or whatever by way of illustration, but I'm not an idiot. I don't think Mel Gibson is Jesus. I don't think William Wallace is Jesus. I certainly don't think John Wayne is Jesus. And I've never been confused about whether Clint Eastwood is Jesus or anybody else who's the tough, you know, Vin Diesel. I don't think Vin Diesel's Jesus. We're not stupid. And so I think that Dr. Dumay has made a very important point about this, a secular version of the men's movement. But at the same time, uh, she has painted an image that is not true. The men that I'm around, the men I walk with, are, are men who want to be the men God has called them to be. But they're not trying to be anything, you know, hyper macho. They're not out... You know, they might have guns, but they're not out shooting guns and buying weapons and thinking that that makes them men. They might have a, a motorcycle, but they don't think that makes them men. Um, they they want to be men in the fullest sense. They want to serve God. They want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. They want to serve society. Uh, they want to they want to be be the guardian coach for their wives and launch them into everything they're made to be. I have friends who are. Uh, deeply invested in the pursuit of noble, great manhood, whose wives earn more, uh, whose wives are highly accomplished, and they have a happy home, and they work just fine together, uh, very well together. And by the way, this may disturb uh, some folks listening, but some of my friends who are just absolutely pursuing the highest and best of Christian manhood are uh, the husbands of rock stars, the husbands of uh, high-performing uh, MDs and and university presidents, and basically these men are are uh, house husbands. These men take care of the kids, um, while their wives have these stellar careers that tend to define the family a bit, much as a man's stellar career might define the family as well, and and has for many many a man and many a family. So uh, there are many different models. There are many different ways this might go. Uh, and you've heard me contend for that often. And I hear from all of you. I know some of you think that women should be in the home and, and, and that men should be uh, out, out in the world. And I don't agree with you. I think there are different, different ways of doing family, uh, different uh, economic configurations, different careers, uh, and different ways that it can be worked out. Nevertheless, my point is that Dr. Dumay has basically attacked a kind of a Bubba nitwit kind of straw man of the white evangelical male who's in pursuit of noble manhood. And as a result, she has, she has painted with broad strokes that do not apply to hardly anybody I know. Every, almost every man I know has seen Braveheart. Nobody went out and bought themselves a sword and started slashing people up. 
Nobody thought that he was the apex of manhood. Nobody thought that, that, that got William Wallace confused with Jesus. The other thing is that uh, Dr. Dumay very much goes after the whole issue of sex between a man and a woman. And she is of the opinion that men have been taught in this growing man, men's movement that, uh, and women, more importantly, have been taught that men have these huge sex drives and that one of the primary functions of a wife uh, is to bed her husband so that we have morality in society, so that men are not running around society thinking with their dicks and thinking with their penises and thinking in terms of their sex drive, and that uh, women are responsible to make sure their men are sated so that basically they, they behave. And that this has been a lot, this has been a psalm of Christian teaching, that women are meant to uh, be there for their men sexually, and that men have these drives that women need to, need to field, and that that's what helps make for a moral society. Well, I got to tell you, uh, Christians, the Christians I know, and certainly what I teach, and the things I've heard at any conference I've ever attended, or even conferences that I've put on, is that sex is a gift, that it's meant to be shared by husband and wife that a man has the same obligations to a woman that a woman has to a man, that they're told not to abstain from each other in Scripture uh, so they won't be given to temptation. But believe me, the men I know want their bedrooms to be magical, want it to be magnificent, want to know how to please their wives. I've even been in conferences and helped put them together where uh, sex experts and, and, and MDs and medical experts teach men what their fathers never taught them about sex, about every kind of sex that's moral. Um and so men want to know how, know how to do it, do it well, love their wives well. And no man I know who's a virtuous man, who's a Christ-like in, uh, man in his intentions in life, um, just simply thinks that the wife is there to, uh, to you know, answer his sex drive without him having any obligations or tenderness or concern for her. That, that, that is not the case. Again, Dr. the main problem with Dr. May's book is that she has gone off attacking uh, Bubba-like images that arise in gender study programs, quite frankly, in universities, if I may be blunt. And I wish she was sitting here. We could have, uh, you know, sit here and drink our hot chocolate. I don't drink coffee, so she could have coffee. And that we could talk these things out on the air. I like her. I think she's trying to do a good thing. I don't think she intends to hurt us. But by attacking these, these false images um, that tend, I think, to come more from a gender studies program than come from reality, uh, she's attacking the wrong stuff. I don't know a man who's not intensely interested. I literally don't have among my circle of men, and I have a vast circle of men deeply invested uh, in the Christian men's movement. Uh, all of them are intent upon loving their wives, being tender with them, being generous with them, uh, caring for them, being one with them. Uh, yeah, being the guardians, guardian coaches that Ephesians 5 describes but they believe, most of them, by the way, believe in mutual submission. I, as you've heard me say, perhaps in this podcast, believe that Ephesians 5 um, is a mutual submission to each other. I certainly submit to my wife on many things. She submits to me. This is not barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. This is not patriarchy. This is not male dominance. This is a partnership. This is a, a mutual thing. Any wise man learns to hear wisdom in the mouth of his wife and submit to it. Uh, I even drive some men crazy because my wife handles the money in our family. Well, you don't want me handling the money. My gifts are languages and philosophies and politics. Her gifts are numbers. Uh, she's the one with the degrees in higher math. Of course, she's going to handle the money. She's a genius at it. I'd be an idiot to insist that because I'm the male, I'll handle that. 
That's ridiculous. If she was a surgeon, I expect her to do the surgery on our family too. I mean, whatever she's good at, I want her to take the lead in. That's just wise. That's just biblical marriage. But Dr. Dumay would say that I, as a leader in the men's movement, what I am doing is I'm saying I'm encouraging patriarchy. I'm encouraging men dominating at all costs. I'm encouraging women barefoot pregnant in the in the home, uh, in the kitchen. In fact, in her book, she often talks about even the issue of whether women can work outside of the home. I got to tell you, I don't know anybody anywhere in my life, anywhere. I live in two cities, deeply involved in the Christian men's movement, do a great deal in D.C., uh, as you know, uh, other things that I'm involved in, lots of media. I don't know anyone who believes that a woman can't work outside the home. Now, I know they exist because I hear about them, but I don't know anyone. No one in my church, no one in the denominations I'm part of, no one in my circle of friends, no one in my broader range of associates, no one questions whether a woman can work outside the home. But this is a central issue in the book. So I I take Dr. Dumay as a as a good person, a Christian person who intends to do good with her academic skills, which I respect, and has tried to give us a history of the men's movement among evangelicals and how it's gone wrong. And I agree with a good portion of her analysis. She's right about us drawn being drawn to secular icons. She's right about an over-macho approach in some parts of the men's movement. She's right about... Um, I'm sure, although I don't see it anywhere in my world, um, about men dominating their wives and making it all about sex and wanting them to be, you know, home barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, so to speak. She's all that she's got. She's got a pretty good grip on, but she does not know the men's movement. And by the way, I I want to hit the word that's most offensive to me in her title, white, white. Uh, she is wrong to believe And by the way, I think she's borrowing from the criticisms of evangelicals and the criticisms of men and the criticisms of whites that are in the broader secular society and broader secular uh, academia when she attacks white evangelical males by that designation. I believe she's um, borrowing the language of our our anti-Christian critics. I have to tell you that my world is largely black. I live in Nashville and D.C., the churches I go to are multi-ethnic. Um, the men's movement that I'm part of is as much led by black men as uh, and, and, and men of and non-white men as it is any other ethnicity. They're not about white supremacy. They're not about white patriarchy. What they're about is manhood formed in the image of Jesus and lived to the glory of God. True, bold, passionate manhood that makes um, champion children and women safe and happy and delighted and and uh, and community strong and, and and safe and and that serves and that launches and that ignites destinies and that protects and that provides. Yes, that's 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 the version of manhood that I know of. And and in my world, I'm just telling you, I never realized it's not true for everybody. But in my world, that's largely led by people of color. My my pastors, I could just go on and on. Uh, about how this is not just a white movement. So she has engaged in a form of racism. She has engaged, she has picked up language from gender studies programs and the secular academy, and she has launched it at us from inside the house of faith. And I think she's wrong to do that. Although still uh, what she brings to us as a historian has some merit and we need to hear it. So I want you to get Jesus and John Wayne 
I want you to read it. You're going to be ticked off. You're going to mark a lot of things. You're going to put big old X's and maybe the letters BS out in the margin or (laughs) whatever. I, I want you to be passionate, but I want you to read it because she says some things we need to hear. Why don't we gravitate to Mr. Rogers a little bit more uh, in our thinking about what a man is? He was a good man, did a lot of good in the world. Uh, why do we think more about a John Wayne or uh, a William uh, Wallace or etc.? Why? We should think about these things. It's good for us to ask these questions. It's good for us to process this. It's good for those of you who are uh, leaders of men to think this kind of stuff through. She'll help us. Dr. DeMay will help us, uh, even though I think she has been unduly insulting uh, and unduly uh, assaulting of a straw man and not the reality. I wish I could bring her uh, to a dinner, have her to a dinner with some of the men's leaders I know. She'd be impressed. Uh, she is in touch with a certain version of the men's movement that f- seems to me to be small town and white and partitioned off and rigid And that is not the one I know. That is not the one that's sweeping the earth. That is not the one I uh, went and spoke to in the Philippines with with thousands and thousands and thousands of men lining up to get into the meetings, hungry for noble manhood in a country that has a lot of unfathered young men. That is not the one I've seen uh, in the countries where I've spoken and the places that I've spoken. That is not, those are not the churches that I know. So yeah, I'm a little bit offended by what she said because she would look at me and say, you are a white male evangelical and you are deforming a faith and you are perverting a nation. Now, let me close with this disturbing thought. I think she's got a point. I think there was a false version of Christian manhood on display on January the 6th. I think there has been, as you well know, uh, I believe, too much of an attachment to republicanism in the church. I think we should have more prophetic distance. I think we should be a little bit more independent. I don't think we should be aligned with any one political party, left or right. So what happened on January 6th uh, was, in part, evidence of a deformed Christian manhood. I've already said that. I believe it. I can echo some of the things that she has said. But she is wrong in thinking that the men's movement that has arisen in this country, largely based in faith, to help men connect to God, get healed, get over their wounds, become uh, unfold as the as the powerful men they're made to be for the for the glory of God and the good of society and the good of each other. She's not in touch with that one. She's not in touch with the part of the men's movement that I'm part of, even though I think she has an analysis that's very very helpful. So get this book, read it, chuck away the stuff, throw away the stuff that, that, that you know is garbage. Or I don't want to say garbage. I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful that you know is not true, but listen to what she has to say. Part of this book is, is small p prophetic and valuable to us. The other part is just based in ignorance. And maybe one day I'll get to sit with Dr. Dumay and introduce her to the part of the men's movement that I'm in. But it's an important book, even if we disagree with it. And we need to be able to hear truth in the mouth of our enemies, because this is what good men do. To join the Great Man Movement or to book Stephen to speak at your men's event, go to greatman.tv. You'll learn about Stephen Mansfield's three essential books for men, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, Building Your Band of Brothers, and Men on Fire, as well as some other great resources for helping you become the great man you are made to be. The Great Man Podcast is a Mansfield Group production.